Hello, friend, you fellow roamer of the realm. Welcome back to Adrenaline. I am your host, Neil Helligers, and I'm about to bring you episode three of Outliers. Before I do, uh, one bit of business, uh, a word from our sponsor. Who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. Wander with us into a world of magic. Do you lack magic? Where old stories take on a new life and the world is teeming with possibilities. Well, for the last time, we're not kissing, Fritz. Join Jenny and Madeline in this fantastical audio drama as they journey into the stories you grew up with. Okay, gown. Let's do this. And reinvent fairy tales with a feminist twist. Ready for your next adventure? Then we'll see you soon in the forest of feminist fairy tales. Yes, in lieu of a very clever way to cut to a word from our sponsor, this time I just went with saying the word sponsor with a French accent. I am just a guy here, okay? Anyway, some things that have really stuck in my head from episode two, uh, and uh, in particular, given the format that we're taking this story in, the really vivid description of the outliers, so we can really picture them, right? Humanoid, um, no ears or nose, just like slits for nostrils, that's kind of creepy. No fingernails or toenails, that's even stranger. And bald, in of itself, not so strange, but in combination, we start to get a really vivid picture of what these things look like. And speaking of vivid, uh, the depiction of when Boy had to kill an outlier in order to save Da. I thought that was very well written and also very well performed by Mr. Rory Culkin, who um, my producer is telling me right now he comes from a very talented family. Um, I mean, that's evident here. And no, I don't have a producer talking in my ear. But yes, uh, Mr. Culkin definitely brought the emotional chops to play on that. Um, really makes me wonder where we're going next. And just to jump back a little bit, the, uh, the detail that these outliers have opposable thumbs is very interesting from an evolutionary perspective. So who knows what's happening there? I guess we will find out. Here is episode three of Outliers. Enjoy. It's winter again. The best time of the year. The outliers are mostly absent, off hibernating in caves like bears or frozen solid where they stand. Like I said, they can't abide the cold. In the winter, I'm free to roam far and wide with my bow and quiver of arrows. I bundle myself in layers old cotton flannel against my chest, thermal leggings under my old Levi's, a deerskin tunic and cape that I modeled after a drawing I saw of a Roman Praetorian guard. I wear a headband made from an old bandana. To the bandana I've attached rabbit's fur strips that serve as flaps to cover my ears. 
Another strip of furs falls down from my forehead to protect my nose from frostbite. I fancy myself a trapper or a scout in a dusty old novel by James Fenimore Cooper. When I was younger, I may believe I was being pursued by renegade soldiers or vengeful Mohicans or marauding bears and I would run faster and faster until my legs finally collapsed beneath me. As a boy, it was my way of escaping from reality, of using my imagination to escape from real life. A life where if I was being pursued, it would be by a band of slavering humanoid creatures that would rip open my abdomen and eat my entrails. But now that I'm almost a man, I've put make-believe behind me. Besides, I doubt old James Fenimore Cooper would put pen to paper to draft a tale such as mine. All literature, that I've read anyway, deals with the interaction of human beings. Sure, nature can be the antagonist in some stories, and sometimes stories are about a protagonist's internal struggle. Most often, the inherent conflict is an emotional or physical or spiritual clash between the protagonist and others of his species. Other humans. Not outliers. I once told Da I wanted to be a writer. He said there's no point in being a writer if there's no one left to read what I've written. It's the question of that stupid tree falling in the forest all over again. It follows me around like a grizzle-muzzled old dog. I started writing my observations in an old spiral ring notebook anyway. I have enough ink, I figure, to fill a couple notebooks. I'm sure I can find more ink pens in one of the derelict villages outside of our valley. I can read what I write. Fatal mistake. Idle musing while walking outside the perimeter fence. And I didn't have one of the dogs with me to act as my better eyes and better ears. The stone, round, smooth, a size that would be completely concealed in my closed fist, struck the trunk of a tree six inches from my head. I heard the whoosh of air then crack as it exploded the frozen bark. I drew an arrow and notched it in my bowstring as I ducked down. Nothing happened. No other sounds besides the faint crack of tree branches, leaden with snow, dropping their icy load to the ground. I picked up the stone, which had fallen near my feet. I tugged off my leather glove and rubbed it between my fingers. Smooth. A river rock. And warm to the touch. Impossible. But it was. Some sort of phenomenon where the warmth of my skin transferred to the cold granite. That didn't explain how it almost hit me in the head. Rocks occasionally flew out from under the hooves of a fleeing deer. I'd nearly been beamed a few times by a pebble-totting turkey vulture or raven, but this stone came at me like a bullet, horizontally, with a slight arc, like the way an arrow shot from a powerful bow would fly. Speed, velocity, trajectory meant force, propulsion. My guess was a slingshot. Dow made one for me when I was little. We target shoot old cans on a log for hours at a time. Dom must have followed me. He'd been planning all along to field test my instinctive reactions. He caught me out. My guard had dropped. He was right to fire a warning shot. Stay alert, boy. Always stay alert. He said that to me a million times. But Doc could barely walk to the stream that ran through our compound these days. He shuffled rather than strode. And he'd stopped to catch his breath more than once on the way. Ragged, shuddering breaths that exhaled foul air, like his lungs were tainted with burning rubber. It couldn't have been Da. Then it bolted. A figure. Slight. A boy, maybe. Shorter than me, but dressed similarly in skins and fur. An old sweatshirt hoodie over his head. High-top keds lashed to his feet with strips of deerskin. Another human. After all these years. Wait! He didn't slow, but kept going. Flying through the woods... Maybe he didn't speak English. Maybe he was a feral, raised by wolves or bears. Maybe he was actually the last of the Mohegans, 
I followed. I've been training for this kind of cross-country run my entire life. My legs are long and my footing is conditioned to uneven ground. He ran. I ran after him. 100 yards. I was closing. The boy launched himself at a tree and started climbing like a monkey up the denuded branches, his gloved fist grabbing, reaching, grabbing, pulling himself up higher and higher. He'd been heading for this tree all along, a pre-scouted vantage point, a safe haven from not only wolves but from outliers too. They couldn't climb anything, not even a ladder. I took cover behind the thick trunk of a tree ten yards away, out of the direct line of fire of his slingshot, a stalemate. As the minutes passed, my breathing slowed. My heart rate did too. I could wait for hours. Most good hunters could. But days were short in the winter. I didn't want him to use the cover of darkness to try to get away. Hey, I called. I don't mean you any harm. I just want to talk to you, okay? No response. You got a name? As soon as the words were out of my mouth, I laughed aloud at how ridiculous that question was. What difference did it make if he had a name or not? Look at me. I must have been given a name when I was born, but I'd never bothered to ask Da what it was. I'd always been... boy. You didn't really need a name when there was just the two of you. When you spoke, your words could only be directed toward a single person, unless you were talking to yourself, or a dog, or an old skull. Yeah, well, me neither. Mostly I'm called boy. Hey, maybe you are too. Why don't I call you Huck? What do you say? I can be Tom. Or the other way around. I don't care. I was rambling, but I figured my non-threatening tone mattered more than the words. No response. But I observed an upper branch sway slightly like he was adjusting his footing. Maybe getting ready to jump down. Or climb higher. I pocketed my gloves and backed completely behind my tree. When I draw my bowstring, I need to feel the tension between my bare fingers. I pulled off my fur cap. I stuck it on the tip of a stick I found at my feet and very slowly stuck it around the trunk at head height. The projectile rock hit the fur so suddenly that I nearly fell onto my backside. Had it hit my head, my skull would have cracked open like an egg. He had to reload, but I'm fast as a mohegan. In a single motion, I notched an arrow into my bowstring with my nimble fingers, pulled, aimed between the pine needles at the branch that had shaken slightly, and let the arrow fly. Forty pounds of draw force. About seventy feet, which is way less than thirty yards piece of cake for an experienced bow hunter like me, fletching carefully crafted from a red hawk's tail feathers and a custom-made flint arrowhead with a ball-peen hammered tin cover. The arrow blow severed the branch and it gave way, plunging to the snowbank below. I could hear the boy's feet scrapping madly on the trunk, trying to get purchase. He must be gripping the frozen bark with the tips of his fingers. Then he fell, crashing through a couple of branches as he plummeted. I launched myself across the open ground and planted my foot on his crudely made slingshot before he even had time to shake the snow off himself. I grabbed the top of his hoodie and yanked him to his feet, practically holding him aloft as I searched his waistband and pockets for weapons, especially knives. He was as light as a feather. The slingshot was all he had on him. I flung him back in the snow, where he lay cowering, hands up like a supplicant, quaking with either terror or cold. I told you I meant you no harm, you damn fool! I sounded like Da. I grabbed hold of his wrist as I jerked off his hoodie, and a cascade of long chestnut hair spilled out, thick and curly and as shiny as a sheet of burnished copper. Not a boy. A girl. She looked up at me. Big, dark eyes. Polished obsidian marbles and cloud-white sclera, like a nugget of coal and snow. A small, upturned nose slit and tiny membrane ears flapped like a squirrel, 
Your skin was pale, pale lavender. An outlier, but not exactly. Where the skin of my thumb pressed against the skin of her naked wrist, I felt warmth. Endothermic heat. No exoskeleton. Just soft and yielding flesh. Let go of me, she hissed. Oh man, I thought. Oh man. Do you know how much you have in common with some of your favorite celebrities, leaders, newsmakers? I'm Evelyn, the host of Reppin, where you'll meet notable people you think you know. You'll find out who they really are and what they represent. Listen to Reppin wherever you get your podcasts. The sun goes down early in the winter. When I was small, Don and I would be gone three or four days at a time because of the shortness of daylight hours. We'd leave enough feed out for the animals in the compound so they wouldn't grow hungry. In the last couple years, when I'm hunting, Da accepts that I might be gone overnight, depending on what game I'm tracking. I'm not hunting, but I plan to be gone overnight. I built a pyramid campfire, consisting of a teepee cluster of upright sticks, after I cleared a full six-foot perimeter out of habit. Fire doesn't usually spread in the winter, when tree branches are wet and drooping with snow and ice but I'm not one to take chances. For once, the sky was clear, the blanket of stars so vivid that the solar system seemed to be pressing down on top of me, like a heavy blanket full of pinpricks. A couple falling stars streaked across the sky, plummeting like rockets burning up in the atmosphere. I bound her wrists in front of her, so that her hands were free to hold a tin cup of hot cocoa. I bound her ankles together, and tied the bindings to the base of a tree. Not an ideal way to secure a prisoner, but I was watching her like a hawk so she had little chance of getting away. She seemed comfortable enough, sitting on a folded tarp with her knees drawn up to her chin. But the sour look on her face told me she wasn't happy about the situation and, given the chance, she'd slit my throat in a heartbeat. She had slender hands with budding half-moon opalescent fingernails. Her eyelids had this double of new eyelashes, a coppery chestnut color like her hair, halfway between an outlier and a human. Amazing. You got anything to say? I asked her at least a hundred questions. She hadn't answered a single one. She hadn't said a word since she'd fallen out of the tree. Outliers can't speak, though they can vocalize. Make sounds. Squeaks, growls, a mucusy snort that sounds like an angry bull pawing the dirt. Or like I said before, they can howl. A sort of banshee wail from the old stories. She'd been silent so far. I unwrapped the hunk of jerky I had in my pack and peeled off a strip. You hungry? I waved it in front of her like I would one of the dogs, so she could both see it and scent it, if she had that ability. I stuffed the piece of dried meat in my mouth and chewed vigorously, leaning as close to her face as I dared. If you want something to eat, you've got to talk. I swallowed exaggeratedly. Otherwise, you can starve. She glared at me, narrowing her pupilless eyes into slits to make a point. I've got some dried fruit in my pack, if that will suit you better. No response. I've been chatting aloud for the simple pleasure of hearing myself speak, which is what you do when you live a significant part of your life alone. What are you, anyway? Some kind of half-human mutant? She leaned forward and spit, hawking a wad into my face. No sting or burning sensation on my cheek. More alkaline than acid. Just warm spit. I wiped it off with my sleeve. I wasn't mad. I was more like embarrassed. I shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry. Mutant is a pejorative, right? Like, retarded. I didn't mean anything by it. Okay, she 
she said. Holy shit. I didn't really expect that she had the ability to answer. That she could speak. That she knew a language, much less mine. I'd have convinced myself I'd imagined what she'd said when she fell out of the tree. Delayed shock on my part. Or wishful thinking. She set down her tin cup and held out her hands, palms up. She wanted some jerky. I tore off a hunk and gave it to her, and watched her with fascination as she ripped off a strip with her small, pearly white teeth. The veins in her neck corded as she arched her head back, just like a carnivore tearing into fresh kill. Can we talk now? I asked. Do you have a name? She shook her head. I don't need one. I know who I am. I was about to argue the point, but I realized the same could be said of me. She looked me over from head to foot, her gaze as penetrating as a sunbeam. What are you? She asked. I'm human. She burst out laughing. The sound was like the tinkling of the wind chimes we'd hung on the back porch of the cabin. Mirth, gaiety, joy, things I'd only read about in books. No, I'm human, she insisted. I didn't have the heart to tell her otherwise. We talked for hours. I unlashed her hands and ankles kept her leash to the tree by her waist so she wouldn't try to run off, or kill me, or steal my pack, or both. She told me she lived her entire life with a tribe of outliers, who she mistakenly referred to as humans, in the far north. She didn't remember a time before then. They were primitive cave dwellers who draped themselves in the skins of the animals they'd killed. After a terrible avalanche, she was the only member of her tribe left. She'd set out on her own, making her way south. She'd been doing so for two summers and winters, but slowly, pulling up for long periods in abandoned cabins. And all that time, she'd never seen another humanoid, whether human or outlier. I wish Dog could have heard her story. Her tribe was like prehistoric people, Cro-Magnon maybe. They had developed a way to communicate. A crude spoken language consisted mostly of grunts. They made clothing, used rudimentary tools, lived in a cooperative group, had customs and rituals especially around burials. Evolution in real time. That didn't explain how she could speak modern English. She pointed toward a distant mountain peak. Up there, she told me. There's a cabin with a stone fireplace in the center of a big room. All the walls are lined with books. The books were written in English. She'd stayed up there for an entire winter and taught herself to read. Could that be true? I don't know. Da had taught me to read. Maybe if I'd been alone, I could have taught myself. Maybe not. I had to keep telling myself that she could be lying. Animals didn't have the wherewithal to lie. Humans did. And she was part human. That much was clear. Oh, man, indeed. Uh, it seems the uh, cast has grown in our post-apocalyptic drama. And now I you see why we it was so important that we have that very specific description of what the outliers look like, because um, whoever this is um, seems to be, as he puts it, um, an outlier, but not exactly. Lavender skin, now also a weirdly creepy detail, but endothermic. I mean, aren't endotherms the best? Also, just as kind of a side note, um, one of the things I really appreciate so far about the story that we get a lot of in this episode is the extreme importance um, when you're in a post-apocalyptic uh, zombie s scenario about having weapons that don't require ammunition. Uh, it seems like that Da's been firing off a lot of it, but boy's got the right idea. A slingshot or a bow and arrow is going to be infinitely better because you can retrieve arrows, you can find more rocks, um, you won't be able to make more ammunition at some point if it's the truly the apocalypse. The only thing better than that would be a 
a, a sword or a pike, actually. That's probably the best anti-zombie weapon. Anyway, as I say, always be prepping APB. And in that sense, let's see what happens with episode four coming at you very soon. I will see you there. Take care. You're listening to Adrenaline Outliers, narrated by Rory Culkin. Created and produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. Hey, it's Mae Whitman, and I play Frankie in the new Realm podcast, The Sisters. The Sisters is about a museum curator of medical oddities who investigates the origins of a mutated skeleton with two layers of bones. Seven ribs are completely fused. And you have no idea where this came from? No. She was sent here anonymously. Uh Uh-uh. Not she. They, maybe? Wait. I've never seen anything like this. Soon, she uncovers an extraordinary mystery that connects her present with one family's tragic past in hauntingly dangerous ways. My grandfather was a journalist back in the 60s and 70s. He specialized in strange stories. Who are they? How are they connected to the skeleton? Play the tape. You'll see. Listen to The Sisters wherever you get your podcasts. We dream about it. We both dream about it. How often? Every night. Outliers is executive produced by Dave Beasley and narrated by Rory Culkin. Created by Cassandra Wells and Dave Beasley. Based on the novella Outliers by Cassandra Wells. Produced for Realm by Alexis Latshaw and Haley Wagreich. Additional sound design and editing by Rory O'Shea. Cover art by Kendall Thomas and Michal Krasnopolsky. Adrenaline is produced by Mary Asadolahi and Kaylin West. Associate produced by Nicole Kreuter and Alexis Latshaw. Executive produced by Molly Barton and Marcy Wiseman. Hosted by Neil Helligers. Audio editing by Angela Yee. Original theme by Marcus Begala. Cover art by Kendall Thomas. Find more shows like Adrenaline by following Realm on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at realm.fm.